one of the most mature things that you can do and arrive at in your life is a place of personal contentment, mm. a place where you are grateful and you're thankful for what you have yeah. and you're content with where you are. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration, so you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We are your hosts, Leo Sabo and David Thompson, and on today's episode, we're continuing a conversation on building habits that build wealth. So it's important that we look at some basic statistics that we talked about last week. Yeah. One, there are 17 million people in the United States who are millionaires. That's 41% of the world's population or the world's millionaires mm -hmm. live here in the United States. And I think it's important to see that education is important. 84% of millionaires say they have a college degree, according to one of the surveys that went out. So mm -hmm. uh, this is one of the surveys. So I've seen anywhere from 75 to 85%. Still a, a high percentage. Dude. A high percentage. And one third of them funded their own educational experience without using any debt. Mm. And so part of That's it is that they're statistic. learners. <laughs> yes, they're learners. They work hard and they try not to use debt when it comes down to their education. One third worked their way through without taking on any debt. And then I think this is really interesting. 86% of wealthy people put in more than 50 hours or put in 50 hours or more a week of work in their career. Yeah. So part of this process is going to be working hard. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean that you have to overwork and have no boundaries whatsoever, but it means that you are going to put in some time, some effort, some energy. And we yeah. talked about effort and energy last week. We talked about how uh, the first couple of habits, one was a self-awareness and an awareness of others. Mm -hmm. The second was true grit. Right. And we talked about how effort counts twice as much as talent does. Mm -hmm. or, and skill. Then, or skill, yep. right? Yep. And then we talked about how it's important to have a giving mentality, always looking to serve and give more than you receive. And so those were the first three habits. Leo, what are some of the things that we can focus on today? Yeah, so we want to talk about a few millionaire habits. Like what, you know, we, we do tend to look at people that are successful. I know I do, because I want to learn from people that are successful. Uh, somebody's already paved the path of why not benefit from that experience. So we want to look at some of the habits that millionaires have. And we specifically looked at millionaires just because they've been able to achieve a certain amount of wealth. Yeah. Now that whether you achieve a millionaire status or go beyond that, that's not the point. The point is that these habits are important in building wealth, period. Yep. And that's not a dollar amount. It's just a position, the ability to to elevate yourself and create wealth beyond what you, your basic needs are for the purpose of eventually feeding or helping other people as well, yep. your family first and then others around you. So the number one habit of millionaires is smart buying decisions. They make smart buying decisions. Interesting. Yeah. So one of the things about that is if you think about what does it mean to make a smart buying decision? Well, it's not that they, they always get a good deal. Right. I think, right. I think they try to, obviously we all do, but that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the ability to look at what they're purchasing and in the context of what their goals are yes. and what their yes. values are, yes. right? So they're not just looking to say, all right, well, there's a new Ferrari or a new Lamborghini or a new Austin Martin, whatever. Yeah. They're not looking at those things as a way to um, to elevate their status. Right. They're looking at the overall goal and saying, does this fit into 
my goal right. for being financially healthy and doing the things in life that I'm called to do. And I think you'll find that most millionaires, in fact, you mentioned the book Millionaire Next Door. Yeah. And the whole premise of that book, this this study that was done by these a couple of doctors, is that they found that most millionaires you would not recognize because they live right next door to you. Mm-hmm. Meaning they're not the guys driving the Lamborghinis and the Ferraris and the, the expensive cars. They're not wearing the you know, fifteen hundred dollar suit. They're wearing the two hundred dollar suit. Yeah. So so it's it's this idea that when these guys look at spending money, these guys and gals look at spending money. They're not doing it for status symbol. Right. Right. They're doing it because it's a wise decision for them. Yeah. And it's within their ability to do it without harming their financial situation. Here's the problem with with buying things for status uh, alone. Yeah. Is that that's a moving target. Right. We've all heard the keeping up with the Joneses. Right. Um, I think it was, I I can't remember who it was now uh, that said, you know, I, I want to keep up with the Joneses. The problem is they're out there buying something else right now. Right, right, <laughs> And I right. won't know until they get home what it is that they bought so I can go buy the same thing or better. And the problem is that it's a moving target. You yeah. can You will never be able to satisfy the need that you have. Uh, there's always more that I want than I can ever get. Uh, I'm, I don't know that I'm any different than any other human being. I have right. eyes. I see things. I want things. Right. And I know that that having those things is temporary. If I have those things, and I and I pursue that early on, what drew me to to what I do today and the passion I have for teaching on finances is that I pursued wealth to bring me happiness and fulfillment. My approach was anything that I see, I'm going to work hard, get it, and that's going to elevate me in people's eyes, or mm, it's going to mm-hmm. it's going to make me feel safer, or it's going to make me live in a certain house, drive a certain car, you know, live a certain lifestyle. And as I pursued those things, no matter how much stuff I bought, it was a temporary um, feeling of of fulfillment. But then it faded. Yeah. And as soon as the next thing popped into my eyes to you know see that I wanted, then that pursuit you started go again. That, right. And and the more I pursued, the less satisfied I became. You know, because I was giving up a lot. I was working a ton. Yeah. In order to get these things, and then they weren't the you know it, it's like think of it from the perspective of. Uh, an athlete, right? They work all their life to get to a certain status so they can, you know, win the Super Bowl, win the the the, the cup, or whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish. There's a lot that goes into that the, that that these athletes will go after, and they'll sacrifice a lot to get there. But when they get there, it's somewhat worthwhile. I mean, right, when you right. win that gold medal in the Olympics, I can't, I don't know what that feeling is, but it's got to be an amazing <laughs> feeling. Now, yeah. does it last forever? Of course, no. Not. Right? It's not right. meant to, and it will never. Last for it will never be truly satisfying, no. but there is a goal and there's yes. a value to re- achieving it, and it does impact your life. Sure. So there's good in material things. I'm not saying that all material things are bad. Sure. That's not the perspective I have. I think you you can actually enjoy a lot of the things that we get to have today, yeah. and I do. Oh, I love living in this time. But I know that the pursuit of those things, if that's my goal in life, yeah, then I will be consistently yeah. disappointed. Yeah, there's a and letdown. So that's the idea there is that smart buying decisions is that you look at the whole picture. You look at your life and say, what am I really about? Why am I here? Why am I doing this? How much money do I need? How much money does my family need? There is such a thing as too much. Right. We talked about uh, Andrew Carnegie last episode, the fact that the man had, uh, well, he was the richest man in the world at one point. And had over four hundred million dollars, which in today's money is over six billion dollars. Yeah, it's actually a little bit more than that. But but the point it's is, crazy. He had so much money, but yet he gave ninety percent of it away. Right now, while he was I living, will, and more when he died. There's a good right. chance I will never be in those shoes. Right, but I can understand, at least relate to the idea of. 
because I pursued the same thing to a smaller degree, granted, but I did pursue it and I realized it's not fulfilling. But the most fulfilling things I've ever done is in giving, yeah. helping someone that could not help themselves, offering whether it's education, whether it's uh, money, whether it's uh, some form of help yeah. that I knew that I could come into this person's life and provide something that I could not provide for themselves. And that was more fulfilling to me and will always be more fulfilling to me than anything else I've been able to accomplish because that's what I believe will give us the greatest satisfaction. Yeah. Again, but I'm veering off just a little bit off topic here, but it's to make the point that when we think about spending, when we buy things, we have to go deeper than just what I want today. Because yes. if we just focus on what we want today, tomorrow's a new day and we're pursuing something else. And our life becomes this aimless and fruitless life. One of the most mature things that you can do and arrive at in your life is a place of personal contentment, mm. a place where you are grateful and you're thankful for what you have yeah. and you're content with where you are. And that you can arrive at that place when you're making you know, $10,000 a year, $30,000 a yep. year, $50,000 a year. That's true. You can arrive at that place at any time in your life. And if you can find that contentment, that's more valuable than anything you can possess, than any possession you can chase after. Contentment, gratitude, and having a heart shift where it's no longer about uh, you know, an insecurity and keeping up with somebody else and trying to pursue wealth or pursue a, a status and saying, look, I'm going to pursue serving others. I'm going to pursue personal best. I'm going to pursue excellence, but I'm not going to let that chase drive me to where that becomes my life goal because it's fruitless at the end of the day yeah. that that contentment is such a mature place to start. And when I'm, when I think about making smart buying decisions, I think about people who have a plan in place, like yeah. you said, Leo, yep. and I think of the, the, the three biggest things, one, your home if you make a smart buying decision on your home, yeah. that can mean that you have a bunch of margin mm -hmm. to then invest. Yes. And you could invest that either into stocks and bonds and mutual funds. You could invest that into other real estate. And over time, you could buy another home that you then rent to somebody else and you're serving that family. You can build wealth. <laughs> you can build wealth. And so yep. the smart buying decision isn't just, you know, oh, I bought this watch versus that watch. It, it was, and, and it includes that. But it's even bigger things like, hey, I have a plan to give. I personally have a plan to give 10% of everything that I earn to the local church. So I do that to the church that I go to. So I that's part of my plan. Mm -hmm. But I also have a plan to save 15% of everything that I earn. Yeah. And so if I'm going to implement those two things, that means the first 25% of my income, yeah, it's, spoken for. it's already spoken for, yeah. which means that when I go to make a buying decision like a home, mm -hmm. I need to make sure that home fits into that other 75%. Yep. And when you add in taxes and you add in some other things that need to be accounted for, right. it, smart buying decisions is not just I'm at the grocery store and I'm looking at a dollar loaf of bread and a $5 loaf of bread. Yeah, there can be a decision there, but it starts with these big chunks, your cars, your home, and then and then your entertainment habits and and your food and your clothing then kind of trickle in line with that. And we talk about that in the first 10 episodes of Getting Money Right. We spent a ton of time on that. But smart buying decisions is key. Yeah. So Leo... And, and in the context of a plan. And yes. by a plan, we mean a budget that you're actually managing, not just yes. something that sits in a drawer on your computer, but something that you're managing because you have a plan and you want to live by that plan. That's the only way we know of actually creating long-term success. Yeah. And, and Ashley and I... And financial peace, which is really important. Yeah. Ashley and I sit down and look at our plan every month. Yep. And as we achieve short-term goals, we write it down. Mm -hmm. 
And we celebrate that. We yeah. say, look, we, we have this much money in the bank to accomplish this thing. And then when we achieve our medium term goal, we celebrate that. Look, we have this much money in the bank to do this. And every month we're looking at it. And then as we hit goals, we look at that. And we even have in one of our closets, we have um, a, a sheet that has our long term goals. Mm. And it started with years ago, you know, having zero debt. And it started with um, making sure we had a budget. That's kind of like a check mark piece. Yep. And then yep. uh, having a six month emergency fund and then beginning to save 15% and putting 20% down on a house. Yep. And we listed these goals out and we That's just awesome. took a high highlighter and we like a dry erase marker and just drew in, in the numbers and filled it in and there's physical tangible visual yeah. like hey we're doing this this the thermometer it's not a thermometer but you know essentially yeah. imagine a thermometer going up it's filling the gauge is filling and you can see that we've achieved something but started that part of that started with contentment and saying okay we're gonna live in this home yeah. we're gonna live below our means over here we're going to do this over here. And that ties right in to the next habit, yep. and that is living below your means. Exactly. So living below your means, really, it, it doesn't mean that you live subservient. It doesn't mean that you live poorly. It just means that whatever you're earning, that you find a way to live below that income level, right? If your income level is 70000 learn how to live on sixty. Learn how to live on fifty. right? I, creating margin, we talked about this so many times, uh, wealthy people have margin. That's how they're able to take opportunities to invest because they have surplus income that they have. Now, I say surplus income. It didn't just come extra. It was part of their income. <laughs> right. They decided to look at it as this money is for, for investing. Yeah. It's surplus for investing. It's not to live off of. So when we say live below your means, we don't mean that you live in a way that's not comfortable for your family, that it's not adequate, that you're not feeding your family, but it means that you look at your lifestyle and say, how can I carve out, like what David just mentioned a minute ago, that they decided to give the first 10%, but then to take an extra 15% and save, yeah. and then meet these mile markers that you've set for yourself, pay off debt, buy a house, have 20% down to buy a house, so that the housing category doesn't over, you know, yep. they're not, it's not so inflated that it's hurting your financial payment. Yep, uh, it makes your life. payment lower, you exactly. don't have private mortgage insurance, you've got large equity in your home in case you ever need to sell. There's all sorts of yeah, little benefits. All, these, all right? these upsides to that. But really, living below your means is, means that you take what you have and you figure out how to live your lifestyle at a lower rate, maybe it's 70% of your income, maybe it's 80%, maybe it's 85, whatever it is, you get yourself to where you can carve out more of this amount of money that's coming in. And you know, if you're doing a good job and if you keep moving up in your career, there's a good chance that your income will continue to grow. It doesn't mean your lifestyle needs to continue to grow. Because if your income outpaces what the lifestyle that you've set is, then you can create margin. I personally, Natalie and I did that. We started living on one income. When she started working, that was an extra income. And we got to the point where 50% of our income was surplus. And that's how we were able to invest and to give more. So it's doable, I think, on most income levels. Now, if you're making less than $20,000, especially yeah, here in the DFW area, tight. you're just getting by. And right. we understand that. And that's seasonal. Our hope is that you'll get to a place where as your income is growing, you can obviously meet your family's need, but, but then cap that. Make sure that you don't allow, as your income grows, don't make sure your lifestyle doesn't keep up pace with that. Because then you'll never have margin. You'll never be able to build wealth. Yeah. Well, when we started the episode with one of the statistics about millionaires is that they tend to put more than 50 hours a week into their career, you know, around 50 hours a week or more. Right. And, and so if you're working 50 hours a week, and that may mean two or three jobs, yep. let's say you start out making, you know, 10 bucks an hour or less. If you put in 50 hours a week, 
you are going to surpass $20,000 a year. Oh, yeah. At 40 hours a week, you'd hit $20,000 a year at $10 an hour. Yeah. Uh, so, so we're saying, look, let's say you can just barely scrape by at 20 grand a year because you earn 10 bucks an hour and you work 40 hours a week. You pick up another 10 hours, then you just, now you're saving 20% of your income yeah. because that's that extra 10 hours is, it represents 20% more income for you. Now you've got some money saved and now you can begin to invest that somewhere else. And so, so we're saying it's going to take a little bit more work than the average person to begin to build this, you know, investment margin in this margin for saving this margin for paying off debt. It requires a little extra effort, yeah. but that effort's worth it. Absolutely. And, and really think about it from the perspective of it's not about not having any kind of fun or not splurging from, from time to time. It's just that you don't make it a habitual thing right? It's okay to enjoy your life. In fact, it's vital. <laughs> it's not worth it if you're not enjoying it. But understand that based on what's coming in, you have to find a way to allow that to happen from time to time, right? You want to take a vacation. You want to do something fun from time to time and splurge from time to time. Maybe maybe instead of going to Chili's this week, you go to a five-star restaurant. That's okay, but you can't do that every week. Right. You can't do that every month. Right. Because if you do that, you're taking away any ability you have Based on your income, of course, but you may you may be stunting your own ability to actually set aside enough to eventually build wealth, which takes us to the next uh, habit of a millionaire, which is that they make their money work for them. Yeah. So uh, somebody who is successful with finances, they're going to set aside and make margin, and mm -hmm. then they're going to put that money to work. Right. And the easiest way to begin this journey is, I say, go back to episode 11, 12, and 13 of Getting Money Right. Listen to 11, 12, and 13. The easiest start is when you begin investing in something like low-cost index funds. And an index is a list of funds. And when I say a fund, I'm talking about the stock market here. This is just, if you, if you want to do the simplest form of getting your money to work for you, you would buy a mutual fund, which is a list of hundreds of companies mm -hmm. where you own a little piece of each company. And it could be Home Depot, and it could be Walmart, and it could be Target, and it could be Apple, and it could be fill in the blank. But you, if you use this index fund, it's a list. And so a computer makes all those purchases for you, and you pay a very, very low fee. Something like $10 for every $10,000 that you invest, or $5 for every $10,000 that you invest. You can get extremely low fees if you use it the right way. And that's why I say go, go back to our investing guide in episode 11, 12, and 13. But that's the first place to start. You can start owning companies mm -hmm. and companies, their job is to grow and they hire the greatest business minds in the world to work at those companies and grow the company, grow the wealth. And over time, your finances grow. So that's a great place to start. Then as you've begun to invest there, you can begin to invest in your education. Yeah. You can begin to invest in your own small side business. You can begin to invest in real estate. There's so many opportunities and areas. And, and I'd say maybe the first place to even just begin investing is just in your own education. Let's say yes. that you don't have a college degree and you know that that would maybe help you earn an extra $10,000 a year. That's a huge return on investment. You know, go to community college for two years and then add two years of public uh, education from one of the state schools in your state, and you add an extra ten grand a year over the next forty years to your life, and you've just added four hundred thousand yeah. dollars. That's incredible. I think that the average uh, college-educated person earns a million dollars more than the average high school-educated person. Wow, that's a big deal. Significant difference there. That's a really big yeah. deal. 
And so make your money work for you. Exactly. But there's a caveat to that that I want to touch on, which is that these people, these millionaires that have these habits, they are very calculated in what they do. They're very smart. They they do not pursue speculative ventures or get-rich-quick schemes. Yes. And that's very important because, look, the last thing we would want for you is to be able to set some money aside. You finally amass $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 that now you can invest, and you fall for a scheme, a Ponzi scheme, where somebody offers you like incredible returns and no downside. And we've talked about this in previous yeah. uh, podcasts, which is you have to be very careful and you have to understand investing. It's not beyond your ability to learn, but you have to take the time to learn. So that when somebody comes along and pitches something that's not wise or it's not a good investment, you would be able to recognize that. Millionaires do not jump into get-rich-quick schemes because they know that wealth, real wealth, is built over time. And we all know that, right? Yep. I mean, yes, you can you can always play the lottery if you think that's <laughs> if that's if you think you have a shot to win, right. I guess you could do that. But that's not investing. That's gambling. <laughs> um yep. what we're talking about here is a consistent way to build wealth and making your money work for you yeah. wisely is one of the ways that the wealthy do that. Yeah. Well, and let me just give a shout out to my friend Dan here because I was talking to him earlier this week. And and if you ever hear somebody advertising on the radio, guaranteed 8% return. Guaranteed. If you hear, you know, no risk, guaranteed 8% return, then there's probably something fraudulent behind that. That's yeah. that's very unlikely. If you see something that says, oh, you'll double your money in a year or less, mm-hmm. it is almost guaranteed that that's a get-rich-quick scheme and it's not going to work. Yeah. And so if you hear somebody saying, uh, you know, 20% a year for the next 10 years, 20% rate of return for the next 10, it is very unlikely that that is true. Now, if you own your own business, you could actually double your sales and you could have a hundred percent rate of return. Sure. Uh, if you uh, get an education and you spent ten thousand dollars on that education and you were able to earn an extra twenty thousand dollars the next year, yeah, you could get some great rates of return. A great rate of return is not impossible. No. But when you hear somebody advertising uh, "get rich quick" or eight percent guaranteed or, or no no downside potential, all upside, one hundred percent rate of return, twenty percent a year, you need to have some red flags going mm-hmm. off. Yes. in your head and be aware you spent all this time lower living below your means you know building up this extra money to invest mm-hmm. don't waste it trying to get rich quick yeah you have to deal with the greed that might be leading you to do that right because yeah. because all of us have that innate desire to to get get to the finish line like right away but the reality is that most people who to take that chance um have suffered for it and what we're trying to do is to tell you building well takes time And it's okay to start slow, but just be intentional and make sure that you're setting aside a certain amount to work for you rather than against you. If you never have anything set aside to work for you, you can't take any opportunities that come along. But what we're trying to say is to build wealth, one of these habits is that you need to make your money work for you. So build margin. And then while you're doing that, by the way, if if you're sitting there right now and listening to this and you're saying, I'm, I'm barely squeezing by, maybe I can save... 20 bucks a month or 20 bucks a week or whatever. What we're saying to you is while you're saving for investing, start learning about that investment. One of the things that I did when I started, before I started investing in real estate, for two years prior to actually pulling the trigger, I learned everything I could from books, seminars, 
podcasts about real estate. And two years in, I'm going to tell you, I had a lot of information in my head. I knew a lot about investing, but I had not pulled the trigger. There were certain things I was not going to learn until I actually pulled the trigger. And but it but it took me two years to build that amount that I had to put down on this property. And but I didn't waste the, the time. I actually learned for two years. I, I technically went to school for two years. Yeah. And then when it was uh, time, yes, I pulled the trigger and I bought a property. And it, it's been very, very successful for us. So what I'm trying to tell you is it's OK to start slow. In fact, it, it's probably the safest thing to do is to give yourself the time to both build the education to invest, but also to to make the money available to be able to pull the trigger when the time comes. Yeah, that's great. So the next habit that we want to talk about is the importance of paying yourself first. Mm -hmm. And this is a bit of a misnomer, but you're going to get the heart behind it. Uh, I, I would say first and foremost, for personal, um, my personal belief system is that I'm going to put God first. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're going to say pay yourself first because this, this, um, this idea is that you're always making sure that in your budget, you're setting aside something for the future. For the future. That's it. And so, and so, yes, of course, it, you know, if you have a Judeo-Christian background and you want to honor Lord first in your finances, that's where you begin. Right. Uh, but this principle, this idea that you pay yourself first with whatever's left over, you make sure that there is something there to invest in the future. Yeah. So pay yourself first, Leo. Yeah, I, I love it. I, and of course, you and I agree on this, but it's so important to understand that when you don't choose to pay yourself first, you're leaving. The idea of saving and investing as a possibility at the end of the month. It's a maybe. It's not a definite. When you decide to do it on the front end, when you decide, okay, I made $100 this week, $10, if you're a believer, you're going to give, you know, let's say you give 10%. The next 10%, the next $10 goes into a separate fund, and that's your investment fund. Yep. yep. Right? And, and again, don't don't worry about whether it's just $10 or if it's $100. That's not the point here. The point is you're building a habit of saving and putting that set, that amount first. You pay yourself first. Here's the thing. You're more important than any creditor that you have to service, any bill you have to pay. You're more important. And if you don't value yourself and your future more than you value paying your credit card or your bills on time, then you value your creditors more than you value yourself. I think that's foolish. I'm not saying not to pay your bills. I'm saying pay yourself first. See, when you make that decision, all of a sudden, now your plan, your budget has to reflect that. Okay, so if I give 10% and then save 10%, and I only have 80%, somehow I have to make that work. Now things will change, but they'll change for your benefit because that 10% now is spoken for. If you just take the money in and start spending, hoping that at the end of the month, you'll be able to save $100, I will tell you from experience, it will never happen. It will be robbed. Something will happen, and it will just be gone. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I'm I'm a fan of Robert Kiyosaki. I, I'm not saying that everything the man does is is gold. I just I've learned a lot from him, so I value him for the for the investment he's made into my life through what I've learned from him. Uh, one of the things that he shared in in one of his books, and I don't remember which one, so forgive me for that. But he talks about uh, that at one point he and his wife hired Betty, Betty the bookkeeper. And they told her, here's how we want you to manage our finances. The first portion, we're going to set aside for giving because they also believed in tithing. The next 20%, you're going to set aside for investing, right? 
And then the other 70%, you take care of everything else. Which is a big thing. They set, they set aside 10 for giving. And then 20, 20%. Yep. That 20% so, for investing. That's a, They, they yes. intentionally yes. changed their lifestyle to fit that. That's yeah. a big deal. Yeah. And now they, they their formula now, it's like they live on 10% and invest 90, right? Of course, they're very generous as well. Right. But my, my point in, in sharing that is this. Betty the bookkeeper, as they called her, almost had a heart attack. The way he explains <laughs> in the book, he says like she was ready to quit yeah. because she said you can't do that. Like you cannot pay your bills last. You got to pay your bills first. And they said no, no, no. You let us take care of the money. If there's not enough money, you tell us, and we go out, go out there, and make more money. That's our responsibility. Right. Your responsibility is to make sure you do it in this way that you keep us accountable to giving, saving, and then spending in that order, not you know spending and then if there's anything left over, we might give and we might actually save. Because if we if they would have done it that way, they would have never retired. At the age that they did. I think Kim, his wife, retired at 39, and he retired at like 46. Yeah. All right. And my point in that is they made a decision to prioritize and put themselves first in their savings. And yeah, it was, I'm sure it was hard because when the the bookkeeper said, hey, uh, your rent is due and you don't have enough money, they had to scramble. They had to go out there and make some money. But they never robbed the savings. Yeah. They used that to invest. And because of that, they become very wealthy because they stuck to this one principle. And again, we're talking about habits of the rich, the wealthy who have consistently done something that has worked. And we're trying to impart these to you because we believe if you do it in this order, you'll figure out how to live on the rest that's left yeah. over after yeah. you've done this. We all have done that. Think of any kind of deduction you have from your paycheck, whether it's a, a medical uh, yeah, premium, health a health insurance, whatever. 401k. If, you if you don't see less. it in your check, you somehow have learned to live without it. Yep. You can do this the same. You just set it aside, get it out of your hands before it even hits the bank, and let it build up until you can actually use it to invest in. And create a plan, not just for uh, the next month, but for the next five years, for your life, especially your investment life, because you want to create the plan, and then you want to stick to it. Yeah. You want to make sure that, okay, if I have an investment philosophy Mm -hmm. that says, I'm going to buy and hold index funds or mutual funds right. and I'm going to buy and hold those and I'm going to and I'm going to plan on dollar cost averaging where I continue to buy a little bit more every month mm-hmm. with my savings and my savings is my investment so yeah. every month I buy another $100 or if you're doing 6 grand a month it's or 6 grand a year it's $500 a month but right. every month I'm setting aside a little bit more to buy a little bit more index fund a little bit more index fund if the market crashes you should stick to your plan yeah. because you have a long-term philosophy. That's right. And so when the market crashes and that index fund cuts in half and it's very, very cheap, well, you keep investing. You buy another $500 a month and another $500 a month or another $100 a month. Every month you keep buying it. So then you bought it when it was more expensive, but you also bought it when it was very cheap. Yeah. And then as the market begins to recover, slowly but surely, it gets a little bit more expensive as you buy it, yeah. but all the money that you put in earlier is now growing and compounding. Yeah. And so now four, five, 10, 20, 30 years later, it's dramatically gone up. And so you want to have a plan and stick to it. Yeah. Uh, that's the part of this. And, and let's say that's, that's, that's um, stocks and bonds and that's you know mutual funds. Let's say you do real estate. Well, you buy and hold. And, and, and there's a bunch of different plans, but whatever your philosophy is, you stick to it and say, yeah. I'm going to buy and hold real estate and I'm going to buy a great property at a good price, hopefully below market value. So as soon as I begin owning it, I've got equity in there. Yeah. And then I'm going to hold on to it and I'm going to cash flow and I'm going to let the rent 
pay it off. And over the next 10 years, it pays itself off. And then I have another property that I'm going to hold on to and it's rented out and it pays itself off. And over time, that cash flow grows from mm-hmm. each property. And the equity grows. And the equity grows. And and typically, if you have a long-term buy and hold mentality with index funds, low-cost index funds, the market in the past 100 years has averaged about 10%, mm-hmm. somewhere between 9 and 11% uh, if you just buy and hold. Uh, I don't know that you're going to be guaranteed that for the next 100 years. Personally, I'm looking at you know kind of planning on at least 7 or 8%. But it'd be great if I got 9, 10, or 11%. Yep. That'd be wonderful. Sure. If you do real estate investing, the market over the past 100 years has averaged somewhere around 15%. Mm-hmm. If you do a basic good job of managing that property. And right. part of that is tax benefits. Part of that is the growth and equity in the home because home values go up. Part of that is that you've paid off the home and the cash flow that's coming off of it. So, so there's a lot of different pieces. And usually real estate investing, as long as you know what you're doing and you've put the time to uh, yeah, educate and invest it. and learn sure. about it, you're going to get a higher rate of return. Mm-hmm. But you want to do something and really stick to it and grow yeah. in that area. The big idea here is that you don't want to take your money off the table, so to speak, and start spending it. That's right. right. When we say put the first portion, pay yourself first, it's what you're doing is you're 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 looking to build wealth, right? So you don't you don't another way to put it, you don't kill your 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 the goose your, that lays the, lo- the golden right. eggs, I mean, yeah. Otherwise, that 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 flow is gone. Yep. So what we're trying to tell you is when you carve off a certain amount to invest, don't ever think of that money as something you can use to spend later. If you're thinking that way, your thinking needs to change because that's not building wealth. That's all you're doing is is putting it in a little bit to make a little bit back, and now you have more to spend. But that's a short-term and short-sighted perspective. What we're talking about is building wealth. Yeah. And wealth is generational. You know, you can leave a good-sized fortune to your your children that can continue to build if you invest rightly and if you don't use that money for your own lifestyle. You know, I think sometimes we think about the wealthy in a way that's wrong because we think, well, you know, they, they get to the place where they have $10 million and then they just spend it all for the next 20 years. No, their mindset has never been to build it in order to spend it. Their mindset has been to build it in order to have this, this flow of income and financial security and financial stability for them and possibly for their you know loved ones as yep. they leave. Well, and when they invest, think about what they're investing in. Mm-hmm. If I invest and I buy a little bit of Home Depot, yeah. then what I've done is I've invested in that company so they can build another store yeah. and they can serve more people. Yeah. Uh, I've invested money that they use to pay somebody's salary. Uh, let's say that I invest in a home and then I rent it out to somebody. Yeah, I'll make money off of that rental real estate, but I'm also serving a family that right. needs a place to live. Sure. So you think about these quote unquote rich people the reason they're rich is typically, and at least 80%, right? Yeah. 80% are first generation rich. They built this wealth on their own terms in their lifetime, not inheriting it. And they did that by serving people, investing it and growing it. And then now that they have a lot, let's say you look at some of the business owners, somebody that owns an HVAC company and goes out and services, uh, you know, cold air units and hot air units and hot water heaters mm-hmm. and any number of different things in the home, they're serving people every day and they're getting paid for it. They invest it and they buy another truck and then they pay somebody else to go out in that truck and do that job and serve people. And they're paying somebody's income and they're doing a service for people. And if they do that and they have 20 trucks on the road now, and, and think about this, not only are they serving people, 
they're paying taxes as they buy fuel. And so the fuel that they're buying yeah. from the pump is paying for the roads that we're all driving on. I mean, as you look at this, yeah, a rich perpetual. person is very, it's very, very, very unlikely that a rich person became rich from ripping people off and from hurting people financially. Yeah. Does it happen sometimes? Sure. Yes. But it's, but the, it's very rare. Yeah, it's, it's not the norm. It's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah. It, it's an anomaly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so this is one of those things where when you think about somebody who's achieved a certain level of wealth, uh, and, and there are, a few, you know, they're like, if you look at sports athletes, they've entertained millions of people and that's how they earn their wealth. If you sure. look at celebrities, they entertained millions of people. And so sometimes you're like, well, they didn't really earn that. They served people through entertainment. Now, whether or not you agreed with their entertainment choices and how or they entertain, their values or, or their whatever. values, that's right? A totally that's different a totally topic. different story. Yeah. And and if they don't have the right character, a lot of times those people crash and burn because they don't have the right character in place. So so when you look at somebody who's done well, think about all the people that they've served. And most of the time, those people are actually even their investments. Like, oh, they've got their yeah, they got a million dollars. And they're, and they're not doing anything. They're retired and they, they sit down and watch TV all day, which they probably don't. But, you know, they, they, you know, they sit around and they do whatever they want. <laughs> right. But that million dollars is invested in companies that are then paying people to do work or are building buildings or creating a growth in the economy. And so just be aware. Don't step in and judge before you have a full understanding of how the economy works. Yeah, that's good. Well, we touched on these five. And really just a, an overall perspective of this is, to realize that it's a different mindset. It's a mindset that looks at your wealth in a different way. It looks at what you're making today with a future perspective. It's conserving. It's being wise with daily choices because you have an overall plan. It says that you have a plan and you're sticking to it, right? And I believe one of the most important things about the habits of the wealthy is that they have a desire to continue to learn. Whether it starts with a college education or goes beyond that, my, my point is to be financially uh, wealthy, I believe you have to be a continual learner. You have to be open. And we talked about this uh, in the last episode, is that you have to be the kind of person that is consistently helping others, that you have a network and connections with people and that you're out there helping other people. And if you do, I believe that you will gain the financial benefits of doing that kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I hope this has been really beneficial to you today. I love walking through these healthy habits you can implement in your life. And what I'm doing right now is I'm looking at Leo's website. It's leosabo.com. And I'm looking at some of the comments here on what people are saying. And I'm just reading it. And, and one of them says, I don't know of a man or a friend with more character than Leo. He's faithful, trustworthy, honest, and someone who truly cares about people. That's from Jason and Bonnie Ruth. Uh, Rolf, one person writes in, this is Fennell. He says, uh, your wisdom and steadfast love has given us strength and encouragement on our journey. And there's several more of these quotes on here of people who've been impacted positively by working with Leo. Leo either poured into their organization, he poured into their personal life. Uh, some of these are coaching clients that Leo worked with on their finances. And they said, hey, you've served us so well that we want to pay you a dollar amount for your time and for your energy. Some of these people Leo has just poured into freely without receiving anything in return. 
And when I look at that and I see the impact on people's lives uh, that Leo's made and that you, as you're listening in the area where you've led people and served people, that's the heart. That's the message. That's the win. So go to leosabo.com. Check out the blog. Check out his story. If you go to the about page and look at his story, get to learn a little bit more about him, uh, how he began this journey, what inspired him to move forward towards building wealth, not with a a go-get-it and grab and receive and greedy mentality, but instead with a generous mentality of how to serve others and be somebody who really represents a healthy mindset well to other people. I love it. I love the resources on the website. Uh, I would also encourage you to check out my website, uh, stewardshippastors.com and the book Jesus on Money. And it's funny because we're talking about wealth today and in the book, one, the, it's Jesus on Money, right? So mm-hmm. this is it's everything that he said yeah, about, about money, money <laughs> about wealth. possessions, about yep. wealth, about what it means to steward and manage money mm-hmm. and steward and manage what belongs to somebody else. And, and it is extremely interesting yeah. to see the way that it's worded, because some of the things that we believe, oh, all wealth is bad, uh, that's not what Jesus says. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to have to dig into the book to read it, yeah. Yeah. but you've got to understand the heart behind it. You've got to understand why you're doing it. And it's really fun. I'm, I'm personally a little bit of an econo- uh, <laughs> economics nerd mm-hmm. or, or an enthusiast, where I love to dig into how the economy works, how capitalism works, yeah. and what it looks like to serve other people and then still be benefited from that, and then turn around and use that benefit that you receive personally to go out and benefit more people and serve yeah. more people. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a very wholesome act if you do it well, mm-hmm. and you can go out and serve people in the market, uh, and you can honor the Lord in the way you do that. And so check out the book, Jesus on Money. That's not all that it's about, but it is one major element, and I think you're really going to like it. And I just say thank you for joining us today. Um, come by our social media page on Facebook or either of our websites. You can reach out through the contact link. We'd love to hear from you. If you will give us a quote or recommend an episode that you'd like to hear from us, we'd love to write an episode on that and yep. share it and talk about it. Uh, if you think that you'd be a great guest and you say, hey, I've, I've got this great personal experience or I own a business and I serve people in this really unique way and I think it would benefit the audience. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know what's going on in your world and potentially have you on uh, the show to share what you're doing to benefit and serve other people. Uh, Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Uh, It it means so much to us when you put five stars or you click the like button and then you just leave a nice comment about the show or you go on Facebook and just share an episode and say, hey, uh, if if you're friends with us already, tag us. If you're not, look for us on social media. David Thompson, that's me, Leo Sabo, and you can find it's pretty easy to find. I'm a, a pastor at Gateway Church in South Lake, Texas. So that's probably the first thing that will come up on my bio. And Leo's got his business here and he'll have getting money right on there. And so um, come check us out. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. You can get more notes for the show and other resources on Leo's website, leosabo.com. And we look forward to having you join us next time so that together we can keep getting money right. Building well takes time, and it's okay to start slow, but just be intentional and make sure that you're setting aside a certain amount to work for you rather than against you.